Welcome to Spark, careers in agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, president at Paulson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Spark. Our Spark podcast is mobile today, and I'm visiting with Emily Schmidt at the headquarters of Sukup Manufacturing. Emily is a graduate of the University of Iowa College of Law and a Hawkeye and has brought her education back to her family business here in Sheffield, Iowa. I know she has a big heart for philanthropy, too, so I hope she'll tell us about that during our interview. But first, Emily, can you tell us about Sukup and what it's like to be the only legal counsel here and what a, a perfect day is like for you? Thank you. Well, Sukup Manufacturing is uh, my family's business. It got started back in 1963 with my grandpa. He basically was does what every farmer does, and that's figure out a solution when they're approached with a problem. So he uh, tinkered around and started developing a stirring machine. And we're now 55 years old, and we're doing everything that is on a farm, which are grain bins, the material handling, steel buildings now. Because of that, and because of the longevity, we have over 600 employees. A day in the life for my the sole legal counsel would be, you know, start off the morning with some contracts, and then get called about employment issues, and then the afternoon about patent, and it's just a lot of hat switching, I would call it, because always trying to find solutions for each department, but then you do get uh, pulled many different ways. So I always tell someone when I'm in the mindset of a contract and they come in with an employment issue, I said, okay, let me think for a second <laughs> and yep. put my, my employment law hat on. So it's, it's a lot of switching hats. I just learned coming in here that you had a hand in designing this facility. And if you haven't seen it, Spark audience, it's fabulous. It's yes. really beautiful. Thank you. It's uh, 46,000 square feet, new headquarters. This has been on, the, it's been on the books to do for a long time, maybe since the 80s. But we finally did it. And um, it's we did all the structural steel, the roof, the cladding on the side, uh, and also the circular staircase. If they go to our Facebook page, they can probably see some pictures. Um, we milled out every step and designed the cantilevered system to make it floating. And you have some original art, too. There's a beautiful sculpture out front. What's the significance of that? Yeah, so the sculpture is a very unique uh, piece. We had been working with Holmes Murphy for a long time, since the 70s. And so when it came to our new office building, they came to us and asked, you know, can we do you know, a small sculpture, and um, we sort of took it, and we said, well, we can do all the, the metal of it, and so we worked with the artist John Brummel in Des Moines, and sort of blew it up a little bit bigger than imagined, but um, it's a dodecahedron, which is a 12-sided shape in the hand, and each side represents something of our business, so we have a family tree on one side, and I actually had to tell our um, graphics person that I was I was pregnant at the time, so no one knew the gender yet. So I had to tell him, okay, it's it's another girl, because <laughs> I wanted it to be accurate because we did the squares versus circles for genders. So it's a beautiful piece, and we're very happy with how it turned out. Probably the most unique gender reveal I've heard yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, can you talk about your early life and growing up in this family and how you had the career path that you chose? I grew up running around the halls with dad. We'd get home with, get done with school and then walk down the street and wait till dad was done. I would, you know, shred paper, sort some bolts here and there and 
really started, you know, gaining relationships with long-term employees. So it was really fun. I remember her name was Sue. She was in customer service. I'd always go in there and she just retired, you know, four years ago, I think. And so it was fun to see all that employment term and then be here when she retired. So I was very excited to see that. And it's also just grown exponentially since I was a kid that it is a different business and we have grown over eight times since 2002. Wow. While I grew up in this, it's also when I came back, it is such a different company. It's much bigger. It's uh, much more diverse products and it's been fun to grow uh, and see. How I sort of chose my path is I think by fifth grade, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I talked a lot. And so my <laughs> my parents would say, you need to get paid for talking. So how about a lawyer? <laughs> and I think the other thing was I, I always try to negotiate out of things. So whenever I set my mind to something, I just planned the route. So I got into college and I had my whole four years planned for classes. And I think there was only a couple things off that uh, plan from freshman year. So I'm very much, uh, if I set a plan, I, I do it. I wanted to stay in Iowa. So law school, I only applied to Drake in Iowa. And ended up choosing Iowa. Tested the waters with some firms over the summer in Des Moines. After working those clerkships, I really realized that what I wanted to do was help businesses and um, have one client, but just help them on all fronts. And once I sort of figured that out, I just realized if I want to do that, the only place I really want to do it is at our family company. Because if you have a passion that it's just ingrained in you, you're going to do your job better. And it actually happened my husband got a job offer before I did to come back. What? <laughs> so I was finishing my third year of law school and my dad called up my husband because there was going to be some transitioning of certain departments going on. People, one of, you know, someone that was been employed for over 40 years. And so dad's asked, you know, Andy, would you like to come back? We'd love to have you in this. And so Andy got the first job offer. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wondered if growing up, you always, like, I'm always going to work in the business and I always had it in the back of my mind. It's one of those where I loved it. Going to school at Iowa State, I always felt like I was going to, but I also searched elsewhere just to make sure it was uh, exactly right. Because once I'm in something, I'm very committed. So I always want to make sure I do the right decision. So I do a lot of research and just look into things before I decide. Because once I do decide, I'll put 200% into it. So you're obviously very methodical about your approach to what, what you do. Can you talk to me about any challenges that you've overcome or obstacles? Coming back and being a lawyer, Suka Manufacturing is employing 600 in a town of 1,200. And most of our workforce is in the manufacturing buildings. And so I know that perception of lawyers, possibly perception of family as well. And I wanted to do everything I could to to really show people who I am and make sure that there's no barriers for them approaching the lawyer, you know, because lawyers have, there's a ton of jokes about mm -hmm. lawyers, yeah. right? I do two things that really try to intentionally show people a little bit more of who I am instead of what the perception is of lawyers. And that's, I try not to wear a suit. It's one of those, that's what lawyers are normally in is a suit. So I don't wear suits because of that. And then I also try and use my humor a lot to really bring a more of a relatable and approachable side of my personality. I love making jokes and it's part of who I am, but I also think it helps people see who it, who I am. That might not have been the advice you intend to give later in our interview, but that's actually really good advice, I think, for a lot of roles. Yes. To yeah. always be approachable and, and think about that external perception right. that people are going to have from your appearance. And the biggest part of the job as a lawyer for a company is you can't do anything about a problem if you don't know about it. So if you're not approachable or if you if lawyers um, are seen as ones that overcomplicate things, you're not going to do your job the best. And so 
you have to make it so that people do come to you for advice or, or if they have problems, helps provide solutions because there are some more out-of-the-box solutions than normally thought. So you talk maybe a little bit about a mentor that you may have had or someone who was really influential in your life. So a couple mentors that I've had in my life are my parents. I definitely get my methodical and, and my the gears in my brain from my dad. And so always thinking and always going through 10 steps, 10 dominoes. And that's really helped. When I came back here, I've really increased my understanding of my father because, you know, you see someone on the outside of work, but once you see him in doing what they do every day, it's really gotten to be that I know him even better. And it's built a relationship off of that too. And he's taught me so many things and being a great mentor to me here in the company. But then I also always say that I got my voice from my mom. She's definitely a very strong woman. She grew up in a military family, oldest of four girls. I always say I got my thoughts and, and analytical nature from my dad, but my voice from my mom. Have you ever played a mentor role or a peer-to-peer relationship where you've helped some people develop? Yeah, that's actually part of the most favorite part of my job. I oversee HR and we have an amazing HR and we've grown it. We've tripled the size of HR just since when I've been here because the company's grown so much and just working with those employees, really amazing to see their growth. And that's, like I said, my favorite part. Um, we do you know, personality trainings um, and one of them is uh, you categorize people by four different animals, lion, a golden retriever, beaver, and otter. And we have it down in our hallway that we can basically deduct any issue that goes on and show you why it happened just by on the four personality traits. Mm. And so it just has helped people communicate better because 90% of the problems usually come from miscommunication. And so working with them and we've um, changed so many processes, improved them, new handbook and things like that. It's been really great to work with them on those projects. So what animal are you? I am a lion. (laughs) So are there better pairings of people that work better together? Like you put an otter with a beaver or an otter with a lion? Each animal can help teach someone something else. So a beaver is very rules-based. You know, they want black and white. They want it clear-cut. And then a lion is someone who can give them a to-do list and they will just knock through the to-do list. Um, But sometimes not the best with details. So Um, If you're doing a detailed project that needs to get done, a lion and a beaver are great to work together if they go well together. Golden is very helpful and loyal, and an otter is always worried about relationships. And so um, we have the person who deals with employee issues in HR. She's an otter, and once we found that out, it was made complete sense because they care about the relationships between people. And when there's employee issues out there, they're the best ones because they really want to create that um, harmony of between the relationship. So let's talk a little bit about your philanthropic programs because just if you spend any time at all on your website, you can just see what heart you guys have for helping other people. And, and no doubt you feel every day the impact you have on your community too with just the size of what you do here compared to the community you're in. So can you tell us some about that? One thing that um, Sukup is always known for is intentional about giving back. And that's something that we believe in very strongly about. And I think it's more important now than it was earlier because now you can do business with anybody. You can get on the internet and buy something from any 10 different places. 
And so I think, especially with the millennial generation, and they're very socially um, conscious, it's big to say, you can do a business with anybody, why don't you do it with someone that shares your values? And so we've always been giving back to the local community, giving back to different universities, creating more jobs, which gives back to the local town. But our biggest philanthropic effort has been with the Sukup Safety Home. The Safety Home is a converted grain bin, 18 foot diameter, and it's got a double roof system. So it's actually 10 degrees cooler inside the home. And then you can um, anchor it with just the three ballast boxes so you can fill it with anything. They were made for disaster relief or in third world countries for houses. Uh, And that's because they're virtually earthquake proof, termite proof. We have over 270 in Haiti right now. 200 of them were there during Hurricane Matthew. And the eye of the storm went right over Lakai, where the home's big camp is. Little to no damage on all of the 200 safety homes. Where traditional houses, 90% were destroyed. In one home in particular at the Village of Hope, they invited the community members to come right out the storm with them. And in one, the size of the room we're in right now had 60 people in the This is not a very big room for our listeners. (laughs) So 18 foot diameter, and then you have a loft that goes over half, so 354 square feet, and 60 people. After that happened, um, we had lots of people calling in and dealers and vendors saying, you know, they knew about it and how did it go? And we got confirmation that all the homes still survived and looking at the pictures, it was just devastation all around except the homes. And so uh, that Friday we did a, we do popcorn Fridays every once in a while. I did it that Friday and I asked the two people who were the instrumental creators of the home to come. I didn't tell them what we were doing, but I got a bag of lifesavers for each. And I said, I don't know if how much you guys really realize, but you saved more people's lives than there are lifesavers in that bag. And wow. I still get chills. <laughs> and I'm not someone who cries much. And I was in front of everybody in the office and I started tearing up. And so it was just one of those great moments of giving thanks to Brad and Brett because, and to my dad, he's the one who Brett Nelson is the safety director. He's the one who emailed Steve right after the earthquake back in 2010. He said, hey, how about we build little bin homes for disaster relief? And Steve just said yes. And so it's they went off on a, you know prototyping for a year and um, got homes down there. And you know, fast forward to now and really proud of employees like Brett and Brad who go beyond the scope of just thinking about the normal products that we do and how can we use that to give back. And I think it's because we are so intentional about our mission that we're not here just to just to make products to sell, but we're here to make everything better in our, that we can control. And going back to the sculpture up front, I forgot to say the sculpture's name is actually The Offering. And as I said, it's the 12-sided uh, shape in a, in a large hand. It means to us that um, we're taking our talents and our putting it towards an offering to do something more. <laughs> That's so cool. Grain bin safety, of course, is a big issue in agriculture and always uh, kind of in the back of the mind of everyone. And you guys have produced a film called Silo or it's under production. Can you tell us a little bit about that? There was a uh, film that wanted to be developed. It's named Silo. The producer of it actually had it all thought out in a script written and they were looking for a location to film it on and they just used Google Earth. And so they picked out this one farm that they really liked the layout for it happened to be Sukup Bins, and so that's when they contacted us. It'll be coming out, I think, next spring, but they do have a teaser trailer that has won awards um, at different independent film festivals, so 
Um, that was all done before we got on board, but it is bringing up to a topic of, like you said, grain bin safety, because there's so many lives that are lost on the farm, in the bins particularly, and our company is one that we were the first and sometimes the only for certain sizes to have safety anchors standard for their bins. So we have a bolt anchor that you can attach to if you have to go in there, but we also have all the warnings for, you know, lockout, tagout. Um, But we're really hoping that this movie can also bring the topic up so it's more relatable, but then also bridge something to more urban dwellers that don't understand farms as much because we're so connected out there. When I tell them that the way you build a bin, you start at the roof and then you jack it up. I mean, lots of people don't know even that type of stuff. So it's fun to bridge the knowledge gap between farms and urban. Well, I watched the trailer and it is beautifully done. I had a hard time watching it because I was so much anxiety about Yes. <laughs> we all know neighbors have been in that situation. Mm-hmm. I would say our, our company got started because my grandpa went in a bin and started shoveling, whacking away at the, the hard crust up top. And I always say, well, there was no lawyer back then to tell him not to. Grandma probably told him not to, but we also wouldn't be here without it. But never would we want anyone else to go in there. So that's been a mission of ours. What can we do with our products to make it so that you don't ever have to enter the bin. Let's talk about your advice for young women who are thinking about a career and getting ready to start looking either at school or or for their first job. What's your advice? I think the biggest advice is to be open. You never know what opportunities are going to come up, and you never know if your plans are going to go the the way you planned it. There's always going to be things come up and to be open, because like the idea of the safety home, it wasn't on Dad's list to make a life-saving home for third world countries, he gave Brett and Brad the opportunity to go after it. Do some more research about what businesses are around. I grew up with many people that now are in their you know, 30s and they never realized um, what Sukup did and how big of a company we were and how um, what products we make. And so there might be more opportunities in the backyard than you really think. Just, just to not assume you know everything around it because there's always more to know and there's always more opportunities than you know. Well, hopefully the Spark podcast will help too. And now that you're reminding them that they need to look into their yes. opportunities, get out and meet people too. Right. You know. And I, I started out, I, I was not good at networking at all. I'm someone who, the small talk, I I just feel like I was, I get very nervous because I don't know how I'll come off and then small talk, I'm not really good at. But once I figured out, I love connecting people with purpose. Like, oh, here's Joe and he was looking for someone that has a podcast and then I knew Sarah and just bringing other people together has been what I did to create more of a networking muscle. Like you have to you have to work the muscle in order for it to grow. And so once I figured that out, because I love you know helping other people out to get their purposes fulfilled. And so once I figured that out, I just I was able to network better. So even if you're bad at small talk and think you're bad at networking, there's always a way to use your strength to develop that networking muscle. Oh, I think that's a great way to think about it. That mm-hmm. it, it actually will get better. Yeah. You know, the more you use it and you start to get a little bit more confident and if you've got I love the idea of that kind of an anchor thought Mm -hmm. that I've got a way to to connect people to each other right and it's been easier also because you know people have heard of safety homes and I love talking about safety homes so that's also been helpful (laughs) the door opener (laughs) yep exactly yeah in your sphere of influence and we all know what it's been like to be in in ag the last um, few years it's been a different animal than it was when corn was a seven and a half dollars and, and there's certainly some interesting things happening with on farm storage. You know, I think that's probably been a great opportunity for you 
Can you talk about, in your sphere of influence, what you're seeing out there and what you're most excited about? The ag market is definitely swinging back. Um, we went through a couple years where it was low and do miss that $7 corn. But we're starting to see more and more commercial sites go up. We have nearly 2 million bushel bins going up in Atlantic, Iowa. And everybody loves the size of them. And, and I think we're going to be getting more orders for those. Wow, that's um, huge. Yeah. So what's the diameter of a 2 million bushel bin? It's a 156 foot diameter. Wow. So a little league field encapsulated by a bin. So farm sites are getting bigger, not even the commercial site. We have many farmers who have more storage than the local co-ops. So what does that mean for for those farms? Is that all their own grain? Are they getting better at trading and transacting with it? Or Yeah, they're mostly them? their own grain, but then it also gives them more control of um, when to sell, because if you only have a couple grain bins on site and at the $4 corn, you forced to sell it really, then add it more to the, the storage. And so there's lots of farmers keeping grain much longer, so then that's why they need more storage. But overall, there's more highlight on safety, which I'm very happy about. That's been more of a theme. And then also more controls. So like we were talking about earlier with not being inside the bin. And so that's been something that farmers have been looking for and appreciate in products. And then also it's been fun to learn about Ag Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, there's a hashtag Ag Twitter. And so many farmers are on it. And I never realized just how many were. And so you can go to that hashtag and read some strings and farmers will just ask, you know, I'm looking for a new dryer and you can do polls. So they would put, you know, brand names, which one should I look at? And farmers that don't know each other, but they're all on ag Twitter will vote. And one time uh, we weren't listed as in the poll, but another farmer commented saying, hey, my neighbor has the latest, the newest mixed flow dryer of Sukups. It dries the grain really well. It's one of those where more farmers are talking on Twitter. It's sort of like the new coffee shop. And so that's something that fun to see that the differences even from when I started back in 2011 I mean you could not have asked any of us to, that we would be on Twitter I didn't get Twitter till this past year either but it's been fun seeing that coffee shop dynamic switch to digital coffee shop tractors are driving themselves you got time you got time <laughs> on their hands exactly literally. and how great to have a fan club out there that are controlling yeah. for you and responding that's pretty cool. exactly yeah you are early on in your career really over the big scheme of things, but when you think about getting to the point where you're winding down, what would you hope people would remember about you and say about you? I would probably say that I want people to say that I, I'm kind. It's one of those where you can do business with so many people that are out there, and I hope that that message and the way I get perceived is that I am kind and I also give back and help others. It's just brought a lot more joy to my life once I realized that I really liked helping other employees develop. We talked about the HR team earlier, and that is really something that just energizes me to get up in the morning and come to work, is to see other people grow and do just amazing things in their own right. We have some great projects coming up here that all started because some other people had an idea, just like the safety home. There's always an idea, but I just hope people think of that. And I look at, you know, my family and what they're perceived at. My grandparents, they have just this love, just abounding between them. And people remind, get reminded of their faith and their love. Um, and so it's one of those where those are the type of things that you want people to remember. So I keep hearing kind of a recurring theme in what you're saying. You, know, you talked about you wearing a lot of hats, and I think that that's very true. For people who aren't necessarily in a position to get to explore as much as you have and try as many things as you have, do you have any advice about how to be courageous and do that? You've done such a great job of that, just exploring 
exploring things that seem almost completely unrelated. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm my personality type is a just throw me into the wind, and I'll I'd say part of it is. I do daily devotionals, and that's one thing that has really helped me. Gives you a little bit more of a good start to the day. It's always in the morning. Well, Is that kind of your, your pattern? That's a interesting. So I used to try to do the morning, and then I've been doing it at night lately. So, so it also helps clear my head before you go to sleep because I, I'm, my mind is always, my gears are always going, and 90% of the time it's about work. And so if I end the day with devotionals, it sort of makes me a little bit more at peace to go to sleep. And mm-hmm. so you're not wrestling, you know, in the middle of the night, still worried about something. I've always found that doing that helps make the night and also the next day better. That is great advice because that's absolutely the opposite of everything I've read, you know, probably <laughs> in the last couple of years. Yeah. Like, this is how you start your morning. Yeah. That's when you do it. But yeah. that's right. If you don't want things churning around at night. Mm-hmm. And I got that advice from a devotional, actually. <laughs> that's <laughs> how that works. Right. Because they said, actually, your start of the day is 12.01 and that's when you're sleeping. And so they said, so really, if you do devotionals at night, you're actually starting your day off better. So I have to ask you, was there ever a pivotal event or a decision that just really made a dramatic change in your life? I think Hurricane Matthew. I look back to last, uh, a year and a half ago when Hurricane Matthew hit, it really invigorated me to get the story about the safety homes out. And I was reminded just actually last month, prior to me actually being employed at Sukups, I had made the commitment to come back. And as I said earlier, once I made a commitment, I'm all in. And I was listening to the State of the Union address by the current president then. And an example of a business that he gave, I just thought, wow, we have a much better example. And I wrote a memo to my dad and uncle on safety homes saying, hey, this is what we should be talking about. This is we should be reaching out to and oh we should make connections with this person and I think my dad used that memo and sent it to my uncle saying yeah I think she's ready to come back now (laughs) but I was reminded of it and I looked back at it and it's I hadn't seen it since then and we've basically done all those things now like all the connections Mm -hmm. and there's actually a specific person who is now our PR manager mentioned in that and I never even thought about that until this past month. Hurricane Matthew reinvigorated my passion to get that story out. I obviously was passionate about it when before I came to work and then I was so caught up in developing because there was no general counsel here before. So I had to develop the position, I had to make the relationship so people can trust you and use you as a tool instead of thinking of you as a roadblock. And so I was so focused on that, that the safety homes just wasn't part of my job. But then once Hurricane Matthew hit, I realized, no, this is a huge thing. We need to get this story out. We need to save more lives because we feel like this is the solution. And it pushed me out of my comfort zone. I'd always thought about wanting to talk somewhere and bridging the summit, which is at our local church, something that is related to the Global Leadership uh, Summit. They said, well, I pitched it to them saying, hey, we should do something on safety homes, and can we build a safety home in the church? They said, yes, and well, by the way, we're doing this bridging the summit. This would be perfect. And so that sort of started the ball rolling of me talking about safety homes. So I talked there, and then someone had said, you know, you should speak at this, this art center deal. And I was like, oh, I'm too nervous for that. But then I had a crazy idea one day when I got an email about the um, Association of Business and Industry in Iowa, the ABI conference for speakers. So I quickly put something together about the safety homes. It was time to submit it. And um, Jennifer asked me, what should we name it? And I go, oh, just forget it. I don't, I shouldn't do that. And I have a daily quote type thing on my desk and I, and I switched it and it said, trust your crazy ideas. 
<laughs> so I was like, okay. I gotta do it. <laughs> I gotta do it. And so I said, let's do the title of Crazy Ideas Saves Lives. That opportunity was perfect because ABI, I got it past the first round and then went into the interview room and all these friendly faces there, but I was so nervous. And they said, oh, by the way, you have it. And instead of a breakout session, can you do the lunch keynote or lunch speaker? Um, so all, all 300 people because oh. their theme, <laughs> their theme for the conference was giving back. And I didn't know that oh, before. Wow. So I said, okay. Then I went back and committed to the Art Center one because it was going to be a good time for practice before that. So Hurricane Matthew has really just helped tell me that we should speak out about it. And then every time that I do speak on it, there's always another step that's clear of where I need to go. And mm-hmm. it's headed down this path that's just been amazing this past year. So um, everybody be on the lookout for our social media. We'll be doing some great things this summer around Ragbri and maybe something at the Iowa State game. But it's all started back to just telling the story. I've had talks with other people of, we've had this story for a while. And millennials, people perceive them as you know, on their social media too much. But I was talking with Ro uh, at Tarot, and she t- has a book about millennials and how to use their, strength, use their strengths effectively. And I said it took a millennial to tell the story. And a lot of times us Iowans are so you know humble that we don't think about if we tell our story, we can help other people. Since then, we've had a ton more safety homes come in, and now a project in Uganda is going to have 50 safety homes for parentless children, refugees. Oh, wow. And so it's just everything's been led down a path that's very clear that I'm, I'm here to help tell the story, and I don't take any credit in the making of it. But I just know that that's part of my job. So we have about 300 safety homes in Haiti, 20 in Peru, 10 in Kenya. And the container for um, the first shipment of 10 to Uganda left two weeks ago. So 10 of them would fit in the container. Yes. Is that about how, yes. Because it's steel, so it's heavy and it's massive. And, right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do they get assembled then once they're... So we actually, how I talked about earlier, a normal grain, but then you do the top sidewall ring and then the roof sheets and jack it up. Safety homes, it's only two sidewall sheets tall, so you do start from the bottom. Um, it can be assembled with hand tools, and also an uh, experienced crew with drills can get one up in six hours. So wow. it's easy to put up, and um, we actually have a story of an orphanage that got destroyed in Hurricane Isaac back in 2012 called Their Sister Church in Texas. A sister church called someone in New York. Someone from New York called South Carolina. Someone in South Carolina <laughs> called a pastor in Florida. And that pastor just happened to be a pastor that married my husband and I. And then the pastor of the church that my brother works at. Wow. So God told him, shelter in Iowa. And he called my dad up and said, hey, Steve, you don't happen to have you know, some of these homes in, around Florida that we could get down to Haiti quick. And dad said, you know, no, I have 10 through customs. They're yours if you want it, because our first shipment of them, nothing happened to them. The partners down there, they didn't put it up, and we were sort of sad about that, but now we know it was meant for these orphans. So within two weeks of that hurricane, seven homes were up, and 60 orphans were sheltered. That's astonishing. Yeah. That's a great story. That gave me a chill. That's (laughs) just amazing. Those are all the questions I have for you. Okay. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful interview. Yeah. Emily, you have such great advice for our Spark audience. (laughs) I think they're, you know, that that idea of being open is just really, really important. And you're an example of uh, what you can achieve if you're like that. Thank you. What can come your way. The time that I grew the most was uh, was sitting in church and the, the pastor said, the only way you can grow is if you stretch yourself. 
And I didn't ever thought about that. And it was when I was toying around with the idea of doing some talks on the safety homes. And so I, after that, I emailed my pastor saying, okay, I'm here to be stretched. Thank you. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to try to grow. And you're right. You can only grow if you're stretched. Great advice. Thank, Thank you. you for ending the podcast that way. That's just awesome. So that wraps up this episode of Spark. Thanks to you, Emily, for your time today and giving such great advice to our Spark audience. Thank you so much. And if anybody wants to get more information, they can go to www.safetyhomes.com. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.